the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. You're listening to the Wavecast, Women in AV. Let's write about it. Recorded on Wednesday, May 23rd, 2012. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad that you could join us. We're here to bring you your May Wavecast, Women in AV. We're thoroughly excited to have for you today the female editors-in-chiefs of our AV industry publications. And today we have Kirsten Nelson, editor-in-chief of Systems Contractor News and Health Care AV, Cindy Davis, editor-in-chief of EH Publishing, Margot Dwayi, Editor-in-Chief of AV Technology, and Sarah Abrams, Editor-in-Chief of Rave Publications. So welcome, ladies. We're so glad that you could join us. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. So one of the first things that we do is every month we send each one of our guests um, a gift and we ask that you don't open it until we actually get on the show. And it's our way of saying thank you to you. And also um, we try to make it special to what you ladies do. So if you have your gifts, you can go ahead and open them up. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. This is really sweet. Oh, I'm so glad that you guys like it. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Oh, yeah. We'll have to wear it at Infocom. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And we'll, we'll, we'll be the only ones in the know. Yes, be the exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be like- Skull and crossbones has nothing on my, <laughs> floor, my floral pin. I'm going to wear yeah, it. Exactly. I'm going to yes. wear it right now, actually. I know. Me too. <laughs> Oh, cool. I'm so glad you like it. Yeah, no, thank you. And the reason that we picked your pin specifically for our listeners out there, it is actually a flower pin. And the unique thing about this flower pin is that they were actually flowers before. And the designer who made them grows them in her garden. And then through a process of pressing and everything, she actually makes makes entire jewelry lines. um, One of the things that she does is she makes pins out of them. And so for me, I thought that that was just really creative and very clever and very much symbolizes what you all do for our industry in terms of the sector of your market and what your jobs are. So um, I hope that you like them and I'm really excited to that you'll wear them today and at Infocom. Perfect. It's a nice metaphor. Great. Let's just get right into it. Can you all tell us about yourself, you know, your background, and what excites you about your job and why you got into publishing? Kirsten, you want to go first? Certainly, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm Kirsten Nelson. I've uh, been with Systems Contractor News since 1998. Um, that was the year I graduated from the School of Journalism at Boston University. So um, I have been with the magazine my entire post-collegiate career. Um, And yeah, I've always, since I was a kid, I always knew I was going to be a writer. And then um, by the time I got to middle school, I realized I was an editor as well. I was editor of various publications. So it's just sort of been my entire life, I guess, up to this point. Wow, that's wonderful. How about you, Cindy? Um, Hi, Cindy Davis. I'm the editor-in-chief for Tech Decisions Media, which is six different websites. I've been with EH Publishing since 2000. Um, I've been in publishing for quite a while, (laughs) since 1982, actually. Um, And so publishing, I've 
is really been what I've done uh, for all those years. Uh, but actually, I started off as an art director, uh, which is kind of an interesting transition. Uh, so your pin is is even more apt for me. I. As far as moving into editorial, it was a very natural transition for me to go from the visual creative side into the editorial side and have really loved being in the AV industry since 2000. Super. How about you, Sarah? Hi, I'm Sarah Abrams from Ray Publications. And uh, like Kirsten, I've also been with Ray Publications and in the AV industry since I graduated from college in 2004. Um, I graduated from University of North Carolina's journalism school and actually was an intern here at Rave uh, my senior year and then stayed on with the company, first working um, in graphic design and doing project management. And then about four years ago, I became the editor of all of our publications. So, Wow, wonderful. How about you, Margo? Hello, everyone. Um, I am Margot Dwyhe, and I'm the editor of AV Technology Magazine. And around the same time that Kirsten started with Systems Contractor News, I came to what was then, um, gosh, Kirsten at that time, I think it was CMP Publications. Yeah, um, I think so. The parent company of various industry entertainment technology magazines. But I've reported on the AV industry for 13 years. I have a master's in writing from University of London, a bachelor's from the University of Pittsburgh, and I'm also an instructor of writing at Marywood University in Pennsylvania. So I champion interactive technology and learning spaces at Marywood. I definitely support the effort to integrate more interactive learning space solutions, but I also try to see a bigger picture and keep that in mind that sometimes the best learning tool is just a piece of chalk or a word exchanged between people face-to-face. So I like to keep a big picture about technology, but writing is definitely my first love. I also studied information science at the University of Pittsburgh. So it was a natural career move to merge those interests into a career of technology writing. Wow, ladies, that's really fantastic. I mean, the experience and the depth that you all have in our industry and in publications is just really amazing. And that's one of the reasons that I personally was so excited about this episode of the Wavecast is I know of at least six female editor-in-chiefs of AV News publications. And in an industry that is mostly male-dominated, it seems to me that women are really leading in the publishing sector. And so I guess my first question would be, would you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that is? Is this just something about women that makes, you know, that publishing a natural fit? Sarah, why don't you go ahead? Um, well, I actually think that it's mostly a coincidence in our particular industry. I mean, it's wonderful to have so many women here that work in writing and I've certainly met a lot of great writers at press conferences and things like that but um, I, yeah I mostly think it's a coincidence that there just happen to be a lot more women in, in the publishing and writing field at the moment. I mean there are certainly many other publications in the field that have male editor-in-chiefs and male writers but yeah what do you what do you all think? Um, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree with you because I. Um, it is interesting that there are a lot of women editors, editors in chief, and um, I'm kind of thinking it might be a coincidence as well. I'm not entirely sure because electronics in any area, whether it's publishing or engineering, it's just not. Uh, it's generally not. Uh, 
female dominated at all. Uh, but I do have to say, I really enjoyed the, uh, the fact that there have been so many women because actually, I mean, all the editors in chiefs actually are editors have been really uh, forthcoming and embracing uh, when certainly when I came on board in the electronics field in 2000, because it was not my area of expertise. How about you, Kirsten? Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I picture what I picture is um, the press conference crowds at trade shows, and it is still mostly men. Um, that. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of the visual I have, and and I mean, you know, it's but it's it's one of those things where yeah, maybe it is kind of a coincidence, and I, it is funny though. It seems like the people who have the most longevity in 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 coverage, a lot of them are women. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I would maybe vote for coincidence. <laughs> Well, I actually would like to um, make a point that I think dovetails with what Kirsten said. It's interesting, if you do take that snapshot of CES press room or Infocom press room, you're definitely going to see, I don't know, maybe 15%, perhaps 20% women in that press room. But yet, as Kirsten says, we do have the the top billing you know, on the masthead. So it's an interesting kind of um, equation where the majority of folks in the field do seem to be men at this time. And there's, there's certainly a lot of cultural barriers to women entering programming, you know, the whole concept of programming and that kind of situation. And there's so many statistics we can get kind of, you know, stuck with the statistical analysis, but like just one that comes to mind just in terms of technology is just that 13%, only 13% of Wikipedia programmers are actually women. And so there are still a lot of cultural barriers to entry into that field. But I think to answer your question more specifically, Jennifer, is that even though the field is male-dominated, women are definitely leading in the publishing sector. Part of it's coincidence, but I do think that since there is an effort as an editor, you have to be a good collaborator, you need to be a good delegator, you need to be a good team player. You need to make connections, you need to see the macro and microcosm. And I think women historically can prove strength in those areas. That's very interesting. Well, and I think, Margot, you brought up our second topic. There is that sort of cultural barrier just in the technological industry sort of in general. And, you know, have you ladies in any way experienced any adversity or sort of challenges as you've sort of come through your career? And, you know, to that point, what advice would you recommend to young women who would like to pursue publishing as a career? Cindy, why don't we start with you? I so there's a couple of different things. I mean, there's there's publishing and then there's electronics. So, in publishing, well, I've been around a little bit longer than uh, probably everybody on on this call. Uh, so, I entered the workforce in 1981, and there was definitely a barrier for women. Uh, and frankly, the way I've always approached my career is uh, do the absolute best job, assume that there's no barrier. Uh, when I walk in a room or put a, put forth a resume or anything I'm doing and just present myself as 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 if there's no barrier. And that, I think, frankly, has helped knock down some barriers. I, I think if you if you just present yourself as as an equal, it's hard sometimes for people to not take you as an equal as long as you're uh, as long as you can live up to that. Uh, 
earlier on in the 80s that might have been more of a barrier. I don't think in publishing, I'm not really seeing that as as much. I mean, certainly, and I have to be really proud to say that there's never been any uh, barrier uh, for women here at EH. Um, there's many of the top positions here at EH have been held, are currently held by women. So that's a really wonderful thing here at my company. It's a whole different, I think it's a whole different deal though when you get into electronics in you know the AV industry and I'm not sure necessarily that it's barriers that are there, there may be, but I think it's more that uh, young women uh, aren't being uh, really encouraged to go into uh, AV or electronics uh, as a field. Interesting point. How about you, Karsten? Oh, yeah, it's funny. I totally agree with Cindy. I've kind of always just, you just act like there is no barrier. I, I know that from the, when I very first started in this industry, when I used to show up for booth meetings, again, I use the trade show because that's kind of where I picture our most interaction with the industry. But um, you walk up to a meeting and, you know, the first thing they think is, is this a sales girl trying to sell advertising? So there's that barrier where you have to say, no, I'm the editor. You know, you have to say it very clearly. And, and, and to this day, just last year, I was at a trade show where they could not understand that I was editor and they kept saying, no, we have plenty of ads. We don't need to talk. <laughs> I mean, they actually could not accept. And I was there with their PR person who kept saying she is editor of the magazine and they never got it through their head. So I think there's still some bias out there that if you're a girl, clearly you're selling ads. Um, but I just do that exactly like Cindy said. Just go up there and say, okay, I'm, I'm about to, here we go. I'm going to have to present myself as knowledgeable and, you know, with great depth of knowledge, hopefully. And and um, it is funny. Sometimes you can clearly see the transformation. You can see them go from doubting to, oh, she does know what she's talking about. And I don't know if that's just women in general. I mean, it might just be everyone, you know, everyone. You might have that moment of, does this person know what, what they're talking about? But um, I've definitely experienced a few incidents over my career. How about you, Margo? I think everybody's making really great points. Um, and there's certainly an important distinction to make between publishing and uh, the actual electronics or AV industries. And also with my magazine, and I think everybody can concur, there's certainly more embrace of the nuances of IT and information technology systems. So the universe is kind of expanding. And so maybe eight years ago, what I needed to really focus on my energies and staying current with trends in, for example, 1080p or high definition. Now we need to know about network troubleshooting and things like that. So I think it's important for women to start early, get an internship, get real world experience, ASAP, seek mentorship. I've had some incredible women be really insightful mentors for me and saying the same things that we're all saying, you know, just treat it like absolutely there are no barriers, go in there, be respectful, and then in turn, get respect, um, reciprocity, support each other. I know Kirsten and I have supported each other so many times, you know, throughout the industry, various times of trading insight, trading information, and just also just, you know, being a support uh, person at, at shows and when we need to sort of back up. And just to innovate, set goals, meet those goals, and, and just work hard. And I think it's also helpful to, to kind of redefine what it means to when we're talking about whether it's computer programming or back-end programming or even web design. Think about 
sort of redefine critically what it means to pursue what we would assume would be female-oriented or traditionally male-oriented career paths, because that really shouldn't exist, you know, in 2012, when you can learn how to, you know, code a, a Joomla or a Drupal website by watching tutorials and be more of a self-starter and an autodidactic so that even if you're not necessarily comfortable in a class setting, for example, that you can really augment your learning on your own in personal spaces. So I think it's really an exciting time to be a girl moving into technology. I just hope that, you know, that it continues to equal out. Although, the, again, the numbers really aren't too positive. Only 3% of open source programmers are women. 13% are Wikipedia contributors. So it's interesting. We need to examine what those barriers are in terms of technology and get involved, get engaged in the conversation. Yeah, that's great. Still have come a long way and still have our work to do. How about you, Sarah? Um, well, first of all, I want to say that I think I'm pretty lucky in that, and I, this is probably true for everyone on this call, in that my office has a lot of women in it, and the men in it are very supportive of women in technology and in writing and in editing and things like that. So I mostly, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a bubble when I'm working in my office. And then it's different when I go to trade shows where I'm like, oh yeah, everyone in this industry is male. Um, but as someone who started in the industry when I was pretty young, I faced a lot of issues with getting taken seriously this year will actually be my 10th Infocom, but the first one I went to 10 years ago, I, or I guess it was eight years ago, um, I was 21 and a woman, but I was a full-time staff member here, but I definitely was not taken seriously because I looked really young and I was a woman and no one took me seriously. Everyone thought I was just hired temporarily for the show and that, you know, that sometimes that still happens to me and that... Um, people just don't don't always assume that you know I have a real job full-time job in the industry but um, I think all the women on the call said a lot of good things about how we can handle that which is just to just know what you're talking about be mature and confident in your interactions with people um, at trade shows and just form relationships with people that are different than you other men who are supportive and just, you know, do the best you can. Well, that's really great advice, everyone. Sarah, can I, uh, if, I if you don't mind, if I can um, just talk to one point that Sarah made, because I think it's an, it's an important one, and it's age discrimination as well. And I think it happens more with women than men, because uh, I certainly know that early in my career, and I don't know if it was my lack of confidence, and it certainly could have been my lack of confidence as well, and confidence sometimes comes with age. I, you know, it's it's rare that you, or it's really great to see uh, kids coming out of school that have a great deal of self confidence. But I think when you when you know that you're a woman in a male dominated industry and you have, and you're young, gosh, that's got to be so intimidating uh, to walk into a big room, um, or a trade show with all these guys and know that you've got to kind of get out there. It's it's a tough thing to do. I think you're right in terms of... Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to agree totally. Um, one thing I think helped me a lot, because um, I also started at 22, right when I graduated college, was, um, I think it was in 2000, and, 
2001 or 2002, I did just a one-week CDA installer boot camp in Dallas, Texas. And my um, respect level went from zero to 10 in just one week because I walked the walk. And, you know, unfortunately, I should have been, of course, respected previous to that. But it just helps because I think that there is that question mark around, you know, the age and whatnot. But again, going back to the question of advice for folks getting into the industry, is training help, certifications help, getting as much certification under your belt as possible, and engaging engaging with the the organizations like Infocom, like the AH groups, CEDIA, et cetera. It really certainly helps t- people take you more seriously. Yeah, I definitely agree with that with regards to the training. It definitely helps with confidence and you know, just in people's respect level for you when they find out you have your CTS or anything like that. Hey, I am a Radio Shack manager's dream date. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Wavecast, Women in AV, Female Editors and Chiefs. To listen to this podcast and all the other wonderful podcasts brought to you by Rave Pubs and AV Nation, you can go to www.ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. Thanks, ladies. And so now, you know, we want to turn it over to something that's just really, you know, all about what our industry is and from your perspectives and sectors of the market, um, you know, how you see it all playing out, where we've been and where we're going. So, you know, from your jobs and from your perspectives, our industry is highly technical and you all have to stay up to date on the latest happenings, products, releases, announcements, you know, all of that, um, as well as know what the different technologies are. So our question that we'd like to learn more from you about is, you know, how do you stay on top of everything that's going on? And, you know, knowing especially with the transition that our industry has gone from, you know, with the equipment, but also from your perspectives in terms of, you know, the print side of the publishing industry versus things that are going um, digital, you know, how do you stay relevant in the way that people are getting news? And Sarah, you know, knowing that you have such um, a unique publication in our industry, can you start us off there? Sure. Um, well, we've never had a print publication, so we've always been totally digital. But um, we're just always trying to stay on the cutting edge with what's coming up in terms of the way we present information and the way people absorb it and want to read it, whether it's mobile devices or videos or social media or anything. Um, and in terms of where we, we get news, not to sound like a cliche, but social media has definitely changed the way I do news gathering because Twitter and all the other social media sites just are a fantastic way to um, keep up with people who I think are interesting and publications that I think are interesting and anything I think our readers want to know or just I want to know. It just, it's really changed the way I myself personally get information. And so we're trying to keep that in mind as we move forward about how people want to get information moving forward. Great. How about you, Kirsten? Um, Yeah, I guess from what, from, I've been doing this for so long that now it's one of those, it's just the, the cumulative effect. You know, there's a, we get extreme information overload. You know, we've 
kind of done some AV chats online where I think a few of us were confessing how many emails we get every day. You know, people, everybody pitching stories and saying that their product really is the greatest in the world and it is an industry first. And (laughs) I say that the way I have always been able to delineate between, you know, fluff and the real stuff that's worth covering is my relationships with people. I... I definitely rely on, you know, some of the mentors that I've had. You know, there are people I've had, you know, gosh, these friendships that have lasted my entire career. And there's always somebody I can call up and say, hey, how real is this? Or, you know, what are you seeing here? And I, I can rely on that. And I also rely on relationships with public relations people. I mean, they really do help help kind of clarify things and help things rise to the top of the pile. You know, they can explain why it's significant. And you do have to use your own knowledge, your own background knowledge to filter that, of course, because, you know, there's there's hype and there's exclamation points and then there's real, actual news that's worth covering. And it's you just have to use all of your filters. You have to talk to your people. You have to use your background knowledge and then just, yeah, common sense. Cindy, knowing that your longevity and how your experience in the industry for the years you have, what do you think? Well, actually, I have interesting uh, points, and I think it is really hard to wade through all of the emails. And I'm looking at my inbox, and now keep in mind, I use my inbox, much to my IT manager's chagrin, as a filing cabinet. And there's 3,176 uh, 3, uh, unread emails. But I'm, I will go back to them. <laughs> and I just, just, just Infocom alone, I'm looking at uh, what's there from Infocom. It's like, oh, my gosh, how are, you, how are we going to wade through it? And i got to say, um, to Sarah's point, using Twitter and social media really has brought a whole new level of information gathering. And I don't use RSS feeds as much anymore. I'll look at Twitter. And... By the way, I mean, I use all your publications to keep up as well. It's like, ah, um, Margot thinks this is cool, so it must be cool. I'll read it. Or uh, So I also rely on, on my peers uh, to uh, gather information and, uh, and certainly uh, PR agencies are really helpful. But you, you've got to also, I think it's really helpful for editors and writers to choose a beat. Uh, for instance, when we, uh, our staff is going to Infocom, we're each choosing a beat that we're going to focus on. Uh, it might be control and automation or it might be digital signage because it's really tough to get deep on every, in every area. You need to have good cursory knowledge of, of what's out there, but it's very tough to uh, be really deep on, on each one of them. So we kind of divide and conquer on that front. Super. And how about you, Marco? Yeah, I think some really great points are being made. Um, Social media certainly gives you that immediacy of what's new. And also what, you know, if somebody's reposting or tweeting something, clearly they saw the value in it. And that gives you some currency right there. So it almost takes a step out of the process. But of course, you know, you have to do your own vetting. That's that's part of the fun, too, as an editor. But um, for me, I think the acid test is really seeing technology in its ecosystem. You know, for example, where I teach, um, it's it's something that you can see the interplay between the X projector and the smart board and the audio video system and the wireless network, the network impact of all of these 
products together in the actual real life ecosystem. So I definitely rely on relationships with people that I trust. I rarely just, um, you know, put a green stamp on something that is brand new that comes in through one of the, you know, someone that perhaps got my email address from registering from Streaming Media East, for example. But I try to do look at all of the information that does come through, even though a huge swath of it is really unusable and overhyped to the point of, you know, just being so PR kind of puffery. But I also really rely on LinkedIn groups that we are connected to, the tech managers that I know really speak about the stuff that impacts their day-to-day life, the things that they deal with morning, noon, at night. So I kind of try to keep it as close to the source as possible, you know, because we're a magazine for end users and uh, tech managers, facility directors. I try to really go to them, too, for what their needs are. And then also kind of, again, go back up for that 35,000 foot perspective and then bring them what I'm seeing that they might not be seeing. But really, it's a a very strong two-way relationship. You're listening to the Wavecast Women in AV, Female Editors and Chiefs. To listen to this podcast and all the other wonderful podcasts brought to you by Rave Pubs and AV Nation, you can go to www.ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. In terms of just our industry in general and sort of, you know, the whole transition from analog to digital and then with AVB and the audio that's following it, are you ladies seeing the types of content that you're producing change? And, you know, what are your thoughts about where our industry is headed? Margo, you talk a lot about um, sort of the networking. So um, in terms of sort of the content and things, that, where do you see our industry heading? And what types of information and content are you getting that may be different than you have in the past? Well, just on a really basic, um, for a basic example, video. People just want video. They want, you know, our readers want more video. And whilst the glorious prose of, you know, a 1,500-word feature about bandwidth management might really excite some readers, people want it in short, sharp, clear language in video. I'm getting more and more requests for that. So we're, we're making um, some adjustments there to how we bring out content. But that's just one sort of uh, on-the-ground development for how people are expecting more video, that people are producing it with much more ease and there's a seamless integration, whether it's Bray Cove or whether it's something else, there's much more seamless integration to make in-house video as a corporate tool for in-house and external communications and then distribute that. So that's just one small example. I could talk about this for hours, but I'm not sure if other people want to jump into that. Well, we're certainly seeing that as well. Um, and, and certainly uh, Brave Pubs, I mean, you guys have really, uh, I, you guys started pretty heavily with video, I think probably before anybody else did, actually. Um, and I think you know most of us are uh, starting to do a lot of video, but I think you guys have have that market cornered. Thanks. So can you talk to that a little bit, Sarah? Um, Well, again, we were already all online, so we were just looking for new ways to get um, information to people in the way they wanted it. So um, we're already doing 
a lot of video and then we're experimenting with um, other types of video content and other types of um, digital content to see how people like it. So we have some um, more comedic natured videos. Like we have a, a thing called Rants and Raves where Gary, our founder, rants or raves about something in the industry he hates or loves. Um, and then we're also, you know, investing a lot of resources in making sure people can continue to get the news where they want to, such as on mobile devices. We have an iPad app and we're working on an iPhone app and things like that. So um, we can make sure that people are going to get information in the places that they're evolving with all the other public publishing industries. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like the dinosaur here, but I I definitely see value in print. Like, I think the best thing we can all do in print, um, those of us who still do that, um, we can, it's sort of a, it's an attempt to do analysis. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out there in digital media, right? That's being blasted at you day in and day out, but print can sort of do a total analysis. It can provide information that's not available in any other format. And I think it's it's still valuable that way. I, I get emails all the time from people who say, you know, I flip through magazines, but when I get yours, I read it. And that always really encourages me because I think that the last thing we can do as a print publication, because, you know, we're not daily, we're monthly, is we can provide, this is what you heard. This is what it's how it's going to impact your business. This is how you're going to be able to profit from it. You know, here's a tech trend that's happening. How are you going to be able to profit from it? And I think if we can, we can do that. We can, we can offer that as a service. I think that's, that's definitely what we try to do. And obviously we have to be in all the digital media as well too. You know, that's definitely a part of our picture, but I think that, I think that print it's kind of got a unique position now. It doesn't have to try to be, you know, scoops and things like that. It's it's more, you know, analysis and, and uh, providing a, a greater depth. And again, I'd like to totally agree with that too. Again, looking at who our readers are, they have specific questions, specific um, job requirements. So offering that kind of um, just really focused approach with our editorial content is something people really see the value in too. And I think that, I think they do have to work together. You know, I, I think it's at that point we can't go with, we sort of have to just play on every uh, level and have presence that's really valuable and really unique on every level and kind of bring it together in a unique way with keeping the reader's needs in mind. I think what you guys are both saying um, had, it's just really brilliant because it's really about reader behavior. Uh, the magazine, uh, print magazine, and Kirsten, it speaks volumes to uh, the quality of your content that you're getting that kind of feedback. Uh, so, you know, kudos to you. Um, it's And being able to have that lean back experience where people are actually able to sit down and digest something that's offering analysis uh, really is a very different reader behavior than the online um, publications. So I think it's really understanding reader behavior and writing content that fits that reader behavior versus trying to shoehorn one into another. And I think your point of being able to go deeper and being analytical and offering trends and advice in a print publication is great. And I think you can certainly do that online, but 
um, you've got to really do it in a very different way uh, because the reader behavior is very different. So understanding that and and delivering the message um, based on behavior, I think, is is a, a lesson that I've certainly learned over the last uh, couple of years working on digital. Excellent. All excellent point. Great, ladies. Well, you know, the, our final topic that we wanted to talk to you about is, you know, just sort of what do you want everyone to know about what it means to be um, an editor-in-chief in our industry and a female editor-in-chief? And, you know, how do you manage, you know, being in the leadership roles that you all are in our industry, you know, how do you manage being a working professional as well as, you know, juggling um, families, community work, and more importantly, making time for yourself? For women across any sector in our market that want to rise to the level of leadership that you all have, you know, what, what is your advice to them and how can we attract more women? So, Cindy, you want to take it away? <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to start with me. Um, <laughs> I don't achieve uh, a good life balance. (laughs) I never have. Um, I did not have kids, um, so I can't speak to the balancing. um, I mean, I I have a family. um, I don't have kids. So I don't know how women actually have uh, full-time jobs that uh, go to the nth degree and have kids. I just don't know how they do it. Uh, They really are superwomen in my mind. Um, because I, I work a lot of hours, um, and I don't, I do not have a good balance for life and work. Um, and that's just a personal failing on my part. Uh, it's more work than life. So I don't, I'm not a good role model in that part. So you need to um, take your own advice in that sense, maybe (laughs) make time for yourself. Well, no, I need to get some advice from somebody else on how to do it. How about you, Kirsten? Um, yeah, I actually, I actually try very hard to have a really good life balance, uh, life work balance. I because I find that my after work hours are very important uh, for recuperation in order to be able to do a good job again the next day. So um, I actually take my off time very seriously and take my weekends very seriously. But like Cindy just said, and I don't have children either. Um, but um, I do. When I'm done working, I'm done working. And I know that that is, you know, contrary to what the entire world is telling us to do now with, you know, Blackberries and smartphones. But I I do have to recuperate. And um, I've always been very strict about that. And I found that I do function better the next day if I give myself time between work and life. <laughs> How about you, Sarah? Um, well, I'm actually probably closer to Cindy than to Kirsten, but um, I don't know. This is, our our office is very um, a results-oriented work environment, so I spend, there's a lot of time where my work life and my personal life overlap, where I'm checking my work email first thing in the morning or on weekends, um, which I really don't mind because since we're just focused on results and not like being in the office nine to five, it doesn't matter if I just want to, you know, leave, leave the office early on a Friday or whatever, which I appreciate greatly. So, um, I don't know if it's my generation or, or what, but I just don't mind the mixing. Um, and, but another thing is that I also don't have children. I don't know if anyone on this, this podcast does, but, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I really love the people I work with and, and my job here. And um, it takes a lot of hours, but I really don't mind the way it has all worked out. Wonderful. How about you, Margo? Do you, are you the only one on the call that might have kids? <laughs> nope, I, I do not. Um, hopefully sometime in the future, but... Uh, I really think this is just a coincidence, not yeah. indicative <laughs> of our <laughs> profession. No. Reflective of our industry. Excellent point. No, I um, also do not. But I think part of maintaining the balance is it's sort of echoing what other folks have been saying, but there's that there's that adage, you can't give out what you do not have in abundance. So if you want to be energetic for your readers, if you want to be um, informative for your readers, you need to have that energy yourself. You need to be informed yourself. So I always keep that in mind in whatever I'm doing. So I need to give myself the proper downtime, the proper, I need to be offline completely and recharge, recalibrate. And I think also what's really helpful for me in terms of creating a good life-work balance is creating a really dynamic team and delegating. And I'm, I'm the opposite of a micromanager. I really love to work to people's strengths. I've loved mentoring some interns for the past few years and giving people projects and responsibilities and allow them to shine, support them to succeed and shine. And so kind of a set it and forget it, which takes a lot of upfront work. But then, you know, so say at the beginning of the month, something, you know, maybe spending a couple of extra hours on or an extra day on or something, but then the rest of the month runs really smoothly. So kind of upfront, creating a really rock solid plan, getting a dynamic team in place, setting it, forgetting it, and just trusting that there's a process at work really helps me with my time management, with my energy management. Thank you for that advice, Margo. <laughs> take it. <laughs> it took me a long time to learn that. It really did. That's really great advice for anybody, um, male or female in our industry, because we tend to, I think, you know, really be um, go-getters and achievers. So wonderful advice, ladies. So with that, we wanted to just thank you all. We really are grateful and so appreciative of you all to come and share your experience, your knowledge, and your advice about what you do for a living and how we can all look at ways to be um, better in the future. So thank you very much, ladies, for coming on and joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank Thank you. you. And thanks for all you do, you know, with the the charity that you're supporting, that Wave is supporting. I'm definitely going to be there uh, in Vegas to see everyone. So thanks for all you do for the industry too, Jennifer. Oh, yeah, thanks. Glad to. Yeah, no, I'm glad to. I'm happy to. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And it's opportunities like this where we all get together and share. That's, um, you know, exactly what makes it all worth it. So thank you, ladies. And then, so, um, Kirsten, you know, if anybody wants to find out uh, any more information about uh, your publications, is there a place that they can go? Uh, Yep, systemscontractor.com. How about you, Cindy? Techdecisionsmedia.com will get you to all six. All six. (laughs) (laughs) Margo? We have a a new um, umbrella URL, which is avnetwork.com. Or also the specific magazine is avtechnologyonline.com. How about you, Sarah? Um, And we're online at ravepubs.com. 
Thank you again, ladies, for joining us. And um, as the editors-in-chiefs of um, our AV publications, you know, we really support you and we really admire and look up to you and forward to seeing everything that you continue to do in the future. So thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. I think think everyone. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our Wavecast for May, Female Editors and Chiefs. We appreciate you listening, and we look forward to bringing you another one next month. See you then. You're listening to the Wavecast, Women in AV, brought to you by Rave Pubs and AV Nation. To listen to this and all the other great podcasts that's produced by Rave Pubs and AV Nation, you can check it out on www.ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation.